Hey, I'm Alicia Bake. I'm Jen Greenfield. And I'm Jen Tifoni. VO Booth Besties listen to the questions you have. We find pros in the know to help you learn. And connect with our amazing VO community. Welcome, Welcome to, to VO, VO Booth, Booth Besties. Besties. Welcome to VO Booth Besties. We're here to help working voice actors get your most important questions answered by industry pros who know. Each week we have a new topic and a guest speaker who is an expert on that topic. To stay up to date on our upcoming schedule, you'll want to be part of our weekly email list. Swing by boothbesties.com and shoot us a message with your email and we'll get you added. And if you haven't joined our VO Booth Besties Facebook group, join us there too. As usual, if you have questions as the interview goes on, simply drop them in the chat and we'll do our best to fit them in. Now, without further ado, let's meet our guests. Over to you, JT. Joan Baker and Rudy Gaskins are the founder of the Society of Voice Arts and Sciences. You might know it as SOVAS, a nonprofit corporation that oversees That's VoiceOver Career Expo, the Voice Arts Awards, and multiple programs providing training, education, scholarships, auditions, jobs, and career counseling for voice actors. They've taught voice acting together since 1995. Their combined teaching work has seen their students signed to top-tier talent agencies. At the same time, they're highly skilled in leveling up the skills of seasoned pros seeking to expand their opportunities to build their brands. Joan Baker is a working voice actor, an adjunct professor at University of Hartford, author of Secrets of Voiceover Success and VP of SOVAS, Rudy Gaskins is an Emmy Award-winning producer-director and the chairman and CEO of SOVAS. The duo recently signed on with Sentient Publications to deliver a new book that's certain to shake up the voiceover industry and provide a viable path to breaking in and succeeding. The book is scheduled for a release in August 2024. Wow. Amazing, JT. You should go into voiceover. We're good. (laughs) Thank you. We're we're good. Interview's over. Thanks for showing up, everyone. That was okay. <laughs> have a good time. Have a <laughs> oh my goodness, Joan and Rudy, thank you so much for joining us on Via Booth Besties. We're so glad you're here. So glad to be here. I, I thank you. And actually, got Joan. I actually used to live in Glastonbury. I think I told you that, and so I thought that was so interesting that you're at University of Hartford. But is it oh. in Hartford proper, or is it like a satellite? Actually, it, it's it's through Zoom. Gotcha. But they have a booth. There's a class, and the class is more in like a, a almost like a, a small theater. And then they also have a booth. So when I call upon someone, they go into the booth, which takes about one minute to get yep. from where they are into the booth. So yeah, it's all on internet. I actually couldn't do it if I had to go there. I get I, it. I'm I get in it. New York. Yeah. Right. So. Joan, you and I have started to get to know each other probably over the last year, I would say. And we have a lot in common. One, I am just, my heart is in New York City, but we're both dancers. Um, You have the legs that I was never going to (laughs) get. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? I've worked so hard on my legs, even to this day. And I'm still like, eh. Like, if you put me up against other dancers, Jen, I'm sorry. You wouldn't even pass me by. Trust me. Yeah. It, it, it's a tough, tough, tough industry on that part, too. Yes. You yes. also did a lot of theater. We share that yes. as well. I love being on stage. But uh, although I've done my research and you and I have gotten to know each other, not everybody might be as familiar with your background. I've just given a little bit. So how did we go from theater, Alvin Ailey Dance Company to voiceover? How did we make that transition? Well, first, when I uh, when I first started, I was actually like 10 years old and I had auditioned where I from, which is Marin County, California, which is right across the Golden Gate Bridge. They had something called the Marin Shakespeare Festival. It was very famous and it was global. It attracted global actors as well as audiences. And it was right in the middle of like a forest. And there was the most beautiful stage ever. So my neighbor had told my mom that they were looking for a kid. So I auditioned and I got it. I was so, it was like already a dream come true. So I started like that was on stage And so what happened was I ended up getting a talent agent and I got one of the the top talent agents in San Francisco. So from there, I I did a kid's show. 
and I was in a movie. So at very young, I, I mean, I joined the union when I was in, uh, you know, sixth grade. So it was already, that was already going to be my path. Yeah. But then I also wanted to be a dancer. I also wanted to be a humanitarian. So I, I was in a dance company early on as well. So all that came to fruition when I got to New York. And when I got to New York, I got on scholarship at Alvin Ailey, five classes a day, five days a week for two years. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, I literally talked and walked like a senior citizen, right? I was always, always sore. <laughs> And you know that, Jen, you're, looks like you're always sore, right? <laughs> but as I was a dancer and I was a dancer, you know, for at least the first 10 years here, I, I also partnered with um, Josephine Baker. If anyone doesn't know who that is, she's a legendary, like she was the first black superstar, international superstar. She was an extraordinarily unique dancer, an extraordinary performer and actress, and um, she used to wear banana skirt. See, right. I had to go there, right? <laughs> so I I ended up getting an interview magazine. And one of the people I um, imitated was Josephine Baker. And that's how it first started. And then from there, I did a nightclub act at Shea Josephine for four years. It was in that four years that not only... I learned so much about Josephine Baker, but I also felt like I didn't want to be typecasted as Josephine Baker. And I know my name is Joan Baker, but we're not related, but it's as if we were. But I didn't want to be typecasted as her. So I, four years later, I branched out. I happened to see an ad in Backstage Magazine. I did a demo reel. And that demo reel got me, I mean, four huge bites with with top talent agencies. And I ended up signing with Buckwalt. So that's how I got started. Um, so I went right off the bat into voiceover and right off the bat, I became successful. I do want to add something. And that is that at that time, I was not very successful doing on-camera work or auditioning for on-camera work to getting work because people seem to be confused about my color, my skin color. Mm -hmm. And at that point I was not in, so it was very hard for me to to get work. And I had been trying all along, not necessarily theater, but commercially. So when I did get an agent and Don Buckwald said, oh, you're so commercial. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything because that's been my plight. So I it really did open doors for me. And I really did because it was like the, the horse being let out of the gate. I took off because it was like, finally, I got some acceptance and it happened to be in the voiceover industry. So I've been giving back ever since. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Now, Rudy, I want to shift over to you. So yes, please, okay. you are enough with you, Joan. That's exactly. Uh, no, but Rudy, so, so director, producer, where now you were doing on camera, correct? As a producer. As a producer, yeah, when you started? As a director. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, you know, that the whole producing thing for me was like started back in high school. I was okay. like the school, the, the class president kind of person. And so there was always stuff to organize. And, the, and I became kind of good at that. And it was came naturally to me, it seemed. So uh, becoming a director uh, was a natural extension of that. Uh, I went to NYU to study film and television, of course, we make films there all the time. It was the whole thing. Every day you wake up and you go figure out something to shoot. Uh, every assignment involved shooting something. So, you know, you're always bringing people together, finding ways to, to make something work. Uh, and, and it was all here in New York City. So it's a, it's a fun place for that kind of activity to take place. And there's all sorts of resources to, take, to, to steal from. And, uh, and so that's what I did. I, I finished there and went right into editing, feature film oh. editing. Okay. And, uh, and I started on the sound side. So uh, that's just where I, I got lucky. So I'm yep. working in, at, uh, at a place called Sound One, since defunct. That was where all the major features were made in New York City, in, uh, in a building called the Brill Building. It's a famous building if you, if you Google it, the Brill Building in New York City. And that's where all the major films are. So Scorsese had an office there, and Coppola had an office there, and Woody Allen had an office there, and on and on. 
And so these are the people that I'm, I'm hobnobbing with, so to speak. Well, at least, at least when we're grabbing coffee in the cafeteria. I'd, I'd <laughs> it, see counts. it counts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it counts. And, uh, but I'm on the sound side of things. So for the first time, you know, someone said, oh, can you run downstairs? Someone needs you to, to make a voice. And so I'd say, whatever. And I'd run into that room and that's where ADR was taking place. And so, you know, I'm like, I'm surrounded by these people. And they say, okay, listen to the beeps and just do this thing for us. We just need you to jump in and make a sound. And I had no idea that it was a career for people. I had no idea that <laughs> here I am off the cuff before lunch, making sounds that other people outside would die to be in this studio doing. <laughs> you know? Right. And, uh, right. And, and for me, it was just that. And, and it was actually an annoyance at a certain <laughs> point. Uh, you know, you get that call, oh, we need you to come downstairs and make some sounds. And so I would do that kind of thing, but with no intention of becoming a voice actor. And uh, it was just part of the, the milieu, so to speak. My focus was on recording sound, working in the studio and uh and for in many in many cases i was sent out to do special recording projects so the cotton club uh was a movie that i worked on as an apprentice and because that movie was shot in the, uh was shot as a period piece to happen in the 30s they needed me to get all of this recording done around the city at two three four o'clock in the morning when we would not hear any modern sounds yeah. mostly it was l trains and uh, you know, I take a 1930s car on the street and and do all sorts of things with it. You know, the doors opening and closing, the engine starting, uh, the door locks coming up and down. It was an incredible experience just being mm-hmm. out there finding sounds that would fit. Uh, and it had it had to be recorded in st- in uh, stereo. That was the reason that so much of it had to be done. Because you might ask, well, didn't they have sounds like that? There've been many movies shot in the, for the 30s. It was stereo. So I had to take a stereo Nagra out. And there were a couple of scary moments being out in New York City under an L train in Harlem <laughs> at 3.30 wow. in the morning with this high tech equipment and people, you know, the people who are walking around at four o'clock in the morning, you know. Right, shady, shady, uh, right, right. If it wasn't for the fact that I probably appeared suspect as well, I would have had some <laughs> problems, but, uh, but I didn't. And I've recorded many hours, which... Uh, I wished I could have kept, but Coppola wanted them for his archive, so he has it all. He uh, even has it. something that says Rudy's Traffic. <laughs> Rudy, never... how fascinating. It sounds like sound and voice of it found you. You weren't right. even, you weren't right. even Jen right. <laughs> and you know what's right. interesting about that is that NYU, the weakest link in that program was sound. I bet. And mm. all the films would get made and they might have beautiful images and all that, but the sound always sucked and that ruined everything. Yes. And uh, and it wasn't until I started working in sound that I realized how important it was to finishing a project and how much you had to think ahead of time to be sure that you had it together or you can run into very expensive problems trying to get that stuff fixed later. And that in as and oh my goodness, this is so fascinating. I'm so glad you shared that story because I mean, now we as industry professionals, we're constantly, constantly reminding producers like how vital the music, the sound, the voice is to you know, I'm sure you've seen videos where where they'll show Jaws without yeah. the music. And it's it's shark or any of the Harry Potter movies. And, and all of a sudden you realize, you know, well, I mean, you, we know, but others don't realize the impact, the sound, the voice, the narration. And also so specific. Absolutely. The cast in order to make it powerful and, and real and authentic. Right. It's the same way that, in the same way that uh, the audition actors for a role, and how, uh, mm-hmm. you know, fastidious, I mean, how important it is to find the right person for that role. Right. That same process happens with each and every sound effect that goes into a film. There's yeah. a sound designer who sits in a room with an engineer and they go through the library doing things like, I like those birds, but this is a sad scene. Let's let's find something that's a little sadder. And, yes. uh, and you know, the audience isn't even thinking about they're not it. Even it's something that about it. they might feel. Mm-hmm. It's buried in the soundtrack, but yeah, that's that's how deep the consideration is for you know the, the sound and how much of an impact it can have on the, on the on the audience. 
Absolutely. Yes. And I love that you've been a part of that. You're, you know, you are a, a, <laughs> a, a linchpin, so to speak, to making these other films. Totally. I mean, that's wonderful. So, so now we got Joan over here rocking in voiceover. We've got Rudy laying under the L train, trying to, you know, not in Harlem, honey. In Harlem. <laughs> I love Harlem. Harlem has changed. I love Harlem. Awesome now. I love Harlem. So, how did these two souls merge? How on earth did you guys come together and then start creating magic? Yeah. Well, ABC News actually brought us together. I mean, every every year I do like a post because I actually met Rudy on his birthday at ABC News, where I had just got hired to voice a campaign that had not used a woman in eight years. Right. The network hadn't used a woman in eight right. years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That's right. So that in itself was very special. But what what I felt like was interesting in our meeting, not only because it was his birthday, because it's not like I knew that, but that there was like a little angel that actually brought us together. Her name was Jane. Another and Jane. I, her name was Jane. And so I had been, uh, you know, I had overheard at my talent agency, someone had booked a job for ABC News um, uh, um, for um, Good Morning America, ABC. And I was like, I had never, you know, this was like three years into my career. I said, oh, they have a radio for, you know, so I call, I started calling ABC networks just to see where it could take me because I didn't know who I would go to. And I didn't ask my agent. I just started on the phone. And then someone said, Oh, you want to talk to the on-air promo department? I was like, okay. So I (laughs) I spoke, I I spoke to the woman named Jane. And and at the time we had cassette tapes at the time beepers had just started. Okay. This was in the (laughs) nineties. And so when I talked to Jane, I said to Jane, Oh, you know, I would love to drop off my tape. And I said, I'll actually be there tomorrow. Would can I drop it off with you personally? She said, yes. She came downstairs, got my tape, went back upstairs. And then that was on a Tuesday. On Friday, I called to follow up. And she said, yeah. She said, your tape is on my boss's desk. I'm just bugging him to hear it. I said, okay, right? So I didn't expect anything. But three hours later, I started getting calls from Don Buckwald saying, oh, my God, you booked a promo, you broke a promo campaign at ABC News. They're like, how did you do it? Call us back and confirm. Two hours later, I get the message. Five minutes. It was eight minutes to five. The job was at five. And I was getting all these messages from Buckwald. I was at a restaurant. I happened to notice the waitress putting the dinner on the table. I, when I found out I booked the job, I confirmed it. I got the food in the bag. I paid the bill. I got in the cab. I got in the cab. I said, I'm pregnant. Hurry. Got to 66th Street because I was 30 blocks away. I sign in. I go up the escalator, go up the elevator. The door opens, and there's Rudy. I'm like, hey. Hey. <laughs> so that was our first meeting, and it was on his birthday, and, and it was an incredible session. Um, and then everyone thanked me and I left. And then on my birthday, which was on October 14th. So we're talking May 20th to October 14th. I got a call from Rudy and he said to me, I was just wondering if you got everything you needed and, and, uh, to, you know, perhaps we can meet. So on October 24th, we met for coffee and then four years to that day, we got married Love it. And then this year, October 24th, will be 25 years of marriage. But we've been together 29 years. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. So now, we started Rudy, is making... She accurate? Is she accurate in her storytelling? Yeah, she's, she's pretty good there. Pretty good. <laughs> she's right about Jane being, being an angel. Because what's funny about Jane is that she uh, she pegged Joan for my girlfriend. When she, as soon as she met her, she had in her mind, oh, you, Rudy should meet her. I had no idea. She never said anything. Wow. And, once she was hired, Jane said, Rudy's girlfriend's coming over. And I'm like, why are you saying that? What, what does that have to do? Well, that's like a, talk about a non sequitur. I, <laughs> right? I hadn't seen Joan. She had. And, uh, and the next thing I know, everybody on the staff <laughs> is saying, 
She hasn't arrived. Nobody knows anything about her, but that just became the theme. Rudy's girlfriend's coming over. Rudy's girl. And I was sort of getting tired of it. But uh, of course, when she showed up, I said, well, it would be a bad thing. I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. <laughs> I said, but clearly, we're not going there. I mean, ABC News was a very buttoned up place, as news yes. organizations okay. tend to be. Yes. So, you know, you're, you're on your on your P's and Q's. And, um, right. and so we did do the project, and it was it was great. And even though they hadn't hired women in eight years until that moment, and the reason was because it was uh, the the campaign was for women's health. And oh, so I, I, I went to my boss and I said, you know, I'd like to hire a woman for this because, you know, look who we're talking to. And, and he said, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So it all came up organically. He didn't stop and say, well, wait a minute, we don't do that. Uh, we don't hire women. They don't cut through in promos. He just said, oh yeah, it makes sense. And that's how that all happened. And all the other producers, after they, after I did that, they all wanted to hire women. Uh, it became Spencer. a thing. It became a, a fad for like a few months. Everybody was like, Spencer. I want to have a different person on my piece too. Because we were working with like four different male voice actors who did everything for us. Yes. We had them all segmented in terms of which magazine, who did 2020, who did day one, who did, you know, prime time and so on. And uh, well, the, all of that. Thanks for breaking the ground. That, yeah. It, uh, it, yeah, it so exactly. happened. Yeah. It so happened. So you and both, so you find each other. You celebrate your birthday, you make that magic happen, but now you transition into really being active in the voiceover community. You get to a place where you're coaching, you're creating an expo, which we definitely want to get to. So Mm. what was that transition from really not just being the actor, but being the mentor and the teacher? How did that come about, Joan? Actually, that fell in my lap and I wasn't that enthusiastic about it, as a matter of fact, because when I was a dancer, I was on scholarship at a school called uh, American Dance Machine, which did show-stopping, recreated show-stopping Broadway numbers. And so at 21, I was already, I was teaching dance and because the head of the school was like kind of no joke attitude, she's someone that had a cigarette hanging out of her mouth during class. And she'd say things like, sexy, fix it. Like you'd go across the floor dancing and she'd make these comments, but with the cigarette hanging out of her mouth. So I I actually didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I did it because uh, it was expected of me. So that when 10 years later, it fell into my lap, I wasn't enthusiastic about it, but I, I did not want to say no to the things that came into my life. When something comes into my life, I usually say yes. So I was definitely in that mindset. So I said yes. And it was an acting school that asked me, would I teach voice acting there? And so that's how it started. By the time I met Rudy, which was a couple years later, he came and watched a class that I was teaching at an acting school, another acting school. And so, and I used to have guest speakers that came in. Like, I don't know anybody that was doing this at that time. Nobody. But I would have my agent come in. I would I would audition for a producer. Like I remember I auditioned for David Letterman to be the voice of David Letterman. And down to me and the person that got it. And the producer was telling me about it. And so I asked him, I said, would you mind coming to my class tonight and speak? So I would net that was me. That was my way of networking at the time. So there was this incredible buzz about my classes. So anyway, Rudy came. And he watched and he said to me, I I would love to teach with you. And he said, you know, we could do it from the perspective of the actress perspective and the producer perspective. I was like, okay. Yeah. So we created a class that way. And, uh, and so I was, I kept teaching because I realized that it was a way for me to network. It was also a way for me to keep kind of upping my skills, because if I have to teach it to other people, that means I have to understand it. And I had to understand it in a different way than if I had not been teaching it. So I decided, you know, this would also be a great career. So I've been sticking with it since the 90s. But Rudy and I still teach, we actually teach workshops together still, but that's more like a specialty. But so Rudy came in and we started teaching together. And I tell you, it took off like wildfire. 
And, and, and I believe it's because we both have unique perspectives. I mean, as you heard where Rudy comes from, and I come from the performing angle, and you bring that together, and it's a powerful class. For sure. So we started doing that. And uh, we started, we created a master class, a master immersion class. That was incredibly successful. We did that for years. And then the book. So Secrets of VoiceOver Success was a whole other level of bringing the voice acting community together, although it's not like that was my intention, but that's just how it manifested. A lot of things for me, and I think a lot of things for Rudy, and in particular, both of us, they the idea emerged out of need, and then we'd create something, and then it would take off like wildfire. So... That's what I'm grateful for. It's almost like beginner's luck. And beginner's luck means you don't really know the rules. You just create as you go. And I think that's the beauty of beginner's luck. Yeah. That you don't know the rules. You don't know, oh, I'm not supposed to do that or I should do that. You know, I think there's a freedom. And within that freedom, you get to learn on your own accord what works and what doesn't work. Absolutely. Right. And the trend and and the industry changes. And I, I actually want to, you know, pass that over to Rudy. So, yeah. you know, trying to stay current, trying to stay relevant, like Joan was saying, you know, trying to make your opportunities. What are you seeing happening maybe that's changed over the last I'll say five years. I don't want to go too far, but let's say three to five years. <laughs> what what have you seen change? I mean, has it has it been subtle or has it been like Mm. I, I wouldn't say it's really been subtle. Okay. Um, what, where I focus is on is on marketing trends. Ah, okay. Uh, you know, coming coming out of television, uh, especially, uh, well, coming out of television, everything is focused on ratings. Everything I would do as a promo producer was reviewed the very next morning. How did the ratings go? And for me, my job depended on how many people showed up because I created the promos that would get people excited about the show. So they'd look right. at the ratings for the first 15 minutes and they say, Oh, Rudy did a good job. If uh, they fell off after 15 minutes, Oh, the show must suck. Mm-hmm. Um, then, uh, so I'm looking at the ratings all the time and looking at the competition, who else is in my, uh, my competition realm and how are their programs doing? And when you're, when you start to look at things from a competitive point of view, that's, you know, that that's, it's that spot on down to the to the Nielsen ratings. You get used to really looking at what's different hmm. about what you did and what they did. All the difference, all the differences. And and they're very and they're and they're many when it comes to branding. It's not just the show. It is how it's promoted. It is how it's produced. It is where it lands in the day. What show comes on mm-hmm. before it? Uh-huh. Is there something mm. that comes on after it that people are looking at? Uh, is it for men or women? Is it for women who are single? Or is it for women who are at home during the day? There are lots of uh, facets to look at in order to determine whether you're making the right steps in terms of branding it. That's how specific, so, once again, the word specific is underlined. Yeah. So these Meet are kind of some audience. of the things that I... Yeah. Yeah. So I look at those kinds of things in terms of, of what's changing. And then on top of that, there's, uh, you know, there's the technology. When technology changes and creates something that uh, you can do something different with visually uh, or otherwise, then you see how, you know, smart producers will find that stuff and do something and everyone else will glom onto it because, you know, it's hot and you want to, you know, uh, you want to sell too. And right now, I think one of the, one of the trends that I see in commercials and everyone sees this now is, is diversity. Yes. Uh, and you see, you see lots of mixed couples. And I mean, it's hard now to, to, to see a commercial that doesn't have a mixed race couple. No. Where <laughs> were like, they when I started? That's all I right. know. I know. <laughs> right. And I wanted to talk about that with you guys as we get into, so I don't want to cut you off, but I do mm. want to come back to this, the importance of that. But anyhow, okay. so you were talking about changes and seeing more diversity, more inclusion. Yeah. And then behind the scenes, what I see is uh, what I don't know how many people would notice this kind of thing and, and how it's going to land eventually. But as a producer, someone sends you a demo reel. And as a producer, you don't think about how long is the demo reel. All you know is I have a specific problem to solve and this reel hit. And I'm listening to see if it sounds like what I need. Yep. 
I'm not saying, oh, it's 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 over a minute and 15. That's that's not going to work. Uh, <laughs> I'm not thinking, right. oh, they should have changed the order of these spots. This is <laughs> this is not the way. You know, I don't have time for that. I'm looking for a solution, right? I got a flat That's tire. That's actually what I'm happened with one ABC News and me with the so demo reel, right, Rudy? With the demo reel, which was on your boss's desk, you guys yes. just listened to it and said, "Oh, she can do it." That's exactly. It. Yeah. Exactly. So now there's a culture of how demo reels are supposed to be made that lives kind of in the realm of demo producers and perhaps agents and casting directors. Mm -hmm. uh, the right. agents and casting directors probably have a much better sense than the demo producers right. about what the, the, uh, the what buyer catches. wants uh, yeah. because they're talking to the buyer all the time and they're selling to the buyer all the time. So they get a sense of it. And, uh, and then you have demo producers that come into play and they sort of behave like actual copywriters and producers who work at it for a living, but where they haven't actually had the pressure of delivering yeah. spots, commercials, and promos for a company. And then yeah. seeing those yeah. metrics and then seeing right. the metrics you were talking right, about. Right, Jen. Right. Yeah. When you do a 30 second spot or 15 second spot for a show, you watch that entire show. Mm -hmm. And you see what they're doing and you talk with the producers about what is your show about and, and what are you guys trying to do? And you learn things about who they're after and you cut it and you come up with your sound bites and everything based on that show and their marketing objectives. Mm -hmm. You don't just say, oh, it'd be cool to make a spot that's funny. Well, let's, let's let's do this or do that. You know, marketers don't make stuff for the fun of it. They make it because they have problems to solve. Mm -hmm. uh, they have goals that they have to hit. And that's how the writing is developed, not just because, mm, I mean, I've even seen things where people create a promo, they copy it from a promo that exists and just change it from ABC to NBC. And it doesn't and, land. It doesn't land. And, right. And then they call themselves a copywriter. Yeah. yeah. So I think that behind the scenes, there's something going on that's creating demo reels uh, that are maybe sometimes enticing. Other times, uh, right. it's it's just the people who are making them that are really thinking about what they're going to be doing with them. And it's up to the cast and directors and the talent agents whether they're going to work with you based on that reel. Right. Yeah. That's great. So mm -hmm. let's keep let's let's start walking down the Sovas and Expo path because I know that's what a lot of people are here for, and that's coming up in December. Joan, why don't right. you talk to us about? Um, Sovas, the Society of Voice Arts. What tell us what that is, this brainchild. Okay. So Society of Voice Arts and Sciences is a nonprofit okay. uh, uh 501c nonprofit status. Um every step of the way of being an entrepreneur has unbelievable challenges to me. And and Society of Voice Arts and Sciences, although it really came out of something. We didn't, it didn't start out of nowhere. It actually came out of something. Rudy and I also had an advertising agency called Push Creative. It was a boutique advertising agency. We had it for 17 years. And then actually we dissolved that and created our nonprofit society okay. of voice arts and sciences. So uh, it was already hot off the heels of advertising, branding, promotion, all the things that voice actors are are involved with, right? Um, it also had a perspective in terms of push creative. We also did casting sometimes for the clients. So it came, Society of Voice Arts and Sciences really came with a profound knowledge of the industry already based on our experiences. Um, also, since Rudy and I had, and again, we weren't set out to do this, but we became, you know, creators and producers for, um, for conventions and for conferences, wow. they start. We had our first ticketed event was in 2006 at the Museum of the Moving Image, and it was called Voices Behind the Scenes. Um, when I say ticketed, actually, the proceeds went to the Alzheimer's Association and to the Museum of the Moving Image, but it was a ticketed event. And so from there, we started doing other events at other extraordinary venues and the again the reactions 
were beyond like beyond our comprehension. So we knew we had to kind of hone this together and create something that again would create job opportunities, would which would create eye-popping knowledge about the industry. So it came from again advertising, promotion, casting, producing, um, acting. So we knew we had to hone something together. And again, it kind of happened organically. So after we started doing these ticketed events, and this went beyond teaching together. So we started doing the ticketing events, and it was based on my book, Secrets of Voiceover Success. And so we started getting the attention of people like, of course, Don LaFontaine, who was in the book, the late Don LaFontaine, and other extraordinary voice actors like Joe Cipriano, uh, Cedaring Fox. Again, from a, a, a such an unusual perspective, we also got the industry people right off the bat. So our very first That's VoiceOver, which wasn't called That's VoiceOver, uh, again, was in 2006. But by 2009, we had such incredible results with our book signings that they actually became ticketed events. Okay. And so we really decided that we had to hone in on that. And that's when we created Society of Voice Arts and Sciences. And we also created our acknowledgement program, the Voice Arts Awards, which started in 2013. Keith David was the first uh, honoree for that. But then it was the following year that we had um, categories and people submitted to those categories. We also were lucky enough, both Rudy and I, to have his former boss, from the Olympic Games at NBC, who's now started working as a mogul at the Emmys. The Emmys is downstairs from our office. Our office is in the Ed Sullivan Theater Building, which is in the theater district. And below was the Emmys and above was Society of Voice Arts and Sciences. So we actually came together to create the Voice Arts Awards. Okay. And so it's in the image of the Emmys. So with Sovas, though, it's a nonprofit, but it exists to what? Provide educational materials, resources, coaching. What 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 do we do with it? Well, it, it definitely does all of that. And okay. we, can, we can get more specific, but here's the thing that made us choose to create it as a nonprofit. So we have we have this the conference that we're doing with that's voiceover. Right. And we introduced the voice arts awards because the conference taught us about just how valuable invaluable so many of these actors are and and no one knows no one's no one's no one's giving them a pat on the back even and their entire lives have been poured into this industry and we said we have to acknowledge them and it can't be in a small way it's got to be huge we want it to be to rival the oscars and the emmys and the golden globes and to create a a statue that they can pass down to their kids etc but we just want to do it right. And if it doesn't work, we'll fall on our fl- faces and say, okay, we gave it the old college yeah. rock. And, uh, and in order to ensure that, that just the idea of, of legacy and, and doing something good and decent for humanity, we said, let's go with a nonprofit. Because with nonprofits, your focus is not on shareholders and, and it's not on ownership. Right. Your focus is on the people you serve. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who tell you what to do. They're the ones who, in fact, when it's a nonprofit, who own the company. It's owned by the people through the government. There are no owners. There are no shareholders. So that would help us keep our, our focus on the right goal. And that's how it all got folded under the Society of Voice Arts and Science. I got you. So now the VoiceOver Expo. So that's coming up in December. And this is, you call it a conference, um, but but, you know, Six of one half does the other. There's going to be sessions, panels, workshops, keynote speakers. Um, Joan, can you speak a little bit to what people can expect at that? I sure can. So that's voiceover uh, is really based on what goes on behind the scenes in voice acting. That was always our goal with uh, that's voiceover, because at the time it started, some people didn't even know what voiceover was, um, let alone. I've always wanted to be a voice actor, which is what you hear today. You weren't hearing that back then. So we really wanted to reveal what goes on behind the scenes. And so it's grown from a three-hour event to a three-day event. Wow. Again, organically, right? So what what, what Rudy and I do is we actually focus on um, the kind of sponsors or the kind of exhibitors that really create a picture 
a more in-depth picture, again, of revealing what goes on behind the scenes of voice acting. So for example, this year, we're going to have a panel with Meta, who's going to focus on social media, and we all want to be better at social media. But what better way to get to it is by the creators, right? So they're doing a panel this year. We're, we're going to be announcing that soon, too. Uh, DreamWorks is on ball. They're going to be doing sessions with sharing their process of auditioning for DreamWorks. And also the senior vice president of casting is going to be doing a, a, a teach. A, she's going to teach a workshop with 15 people cre uh, with the real scripts from DreamWorks and she's going to be coaching. So again, these aspects are, are huge with our event where we get the people that actually either hire or facilitate the work. Yeah. Um, also, we have this year, we have eight jobs, <clears throat> eight job opportunities, eight paying job opportunities um, that anyone can audition for. Um, we have CBS Talent Spotlight, uh, which is more promo. And whoever books that gets a promo campaign with CBS, they get to voice it, you get paid, of course. Um, you also get Sennheiser Equipment. You yeah. also get representation from vox inc this year wow um, yeah no it's it's really no joke so and and you are put through the paces yeah. but it's exciting but again the audience at at the 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 finalists that come out on on stage which are like six of them again you get to see what goes on behind the scenes and now i would really suggest folks go to the website sovas.org and and click on that voiceover, the schedule at sovas.org, because we could really go through, you know, follow the bouncing ball. There's there's so many uh, workshops from all the different genres. I mean, it's, it's very exciting. And they're, they're all people who actually hire. They're not just yeah. people who kind of know stuff about the topic yeah. and, and share. Hire. And they're all coming from the point of view of this is what I do. Tomorrow, I'll be looking for talent. Right. Uh, and today I'm here talking about how I do that. Uh, well, another me, one I, of the, another. Go ahead. Well, uh, Joan was mentioning that there are eight jobs up for grabs through the conference this year. We've always had one since the beginning. CBS right. was always with us. They, they dropped out one year and NBC dropped in. But right. we've always had a job because we felt that it's important to learn stuff in the context of real world job opportunities. Right. Uh, to, to make the theoretical, you know, more the reality. And so we, it's just not been easy to get different companies to say, yes, I will promise a job. So and, I, and, and I want to add people. that we've been pursuing these things for years. Yeah. Yeah. Not weeks, years. So this year we have eight now and we're working on two more because we want 10 jobs for the right. 10th year anniversary. That's our goal. <laughs> right. I love it. Right. Now, what I wanted to circle back to Rudy that we talked about earlier was inclusion, diversity. So that, mm -hmm. so to your point with the speakers and all, you know, and, and what's happening globally, you guys have a lot of international folks getting involved. Mm -hmm. And I think that is very exciting. Can you tell us a little bit about what's behind that and, you know, to remember that voiceover just isn't an American. <laughs> right. Yeah. Suit, an right? American phenomenon. Right? Yeah. No, that's true. It's well, an you international know phenomenon. Absolutely. What what uh, what really started that process, what kicked off this sort of international piece was a call I got from a voice actor after we had launched the Voice Arts Awards. Uh, and we we knew we wanted to include Spanish, but it, it was uh, it was a complicated process to add it at that time. So I thought until someone called me and said, uh, why don't you include Spanish categories? And he was and from Ecuador. A, yeah. Major, major voice talent. From major Ecuador. voice talent. And I said, well, you're, you're, you're right on the money because we're, we have that in the works for next year. And he said, why not this year? And I didn't have an answer. <laughs> I couldn't just say, oh, because it's hard. <laughs> and so I said, well, you know, you, let me go look into that. And so we said, let's come up with at least a couple categories in Spanish uh, that will be general categories. And so we did. He showed up. For, well, first, he won one of those categories himself. Uh, he came from Ecuador uh, and some other uh, folks from Latin America showed up. And, and we were off to the races. We said, OK, now we've got to really go all out and, and give the Spanish speaking audience uh, a bulk of categories. 
and it started to grow from there. Now we have Japanese, Mandarin, Arabic, uh, English speaking English speaking African, Africa, Portuguese, which also includes you know they speak uh, Arabic in Africa as well, uh, other languages mm-hmm. as well, but Arabic is a big one, and yes, in Portuguese. So uh, just the other day, I got a, a letter from someone saying, "Can we? Can you add Dutch categories this year?" I said, "Well." The show is over on the 25th. That's when the category is closed. So no, right. we'll think about <laughs> it for next year. year. <laughs> but every so time the, we... It was the Voice Arts Awards that led to that international uh-huh. uh, yeah. appeal. Because yeah. one, it's America. People know if I get something from America, that's a big deal wherever in whatever country I'm in. And sure enough, it is. It was. We were shocked to see how many people got... Uh, the largest papers in their countries to do stories right. about them winning a voice arts awards. Or including just being, television, including yeah. television interviews TV with interviews. major networks. And it, this could just be because they were nominated. Yeah. And yeah. of course, uh, when we did the first voice arts awards in 2014, uh, the first gala, James Earl Jones was there. And so Good Morning America interviewed him and, uh, and they called it in their interview, the Oscars of voice acting. That's how they referred to our show. And everybody took that ball and ran with it. <laughs> every every news every newspaper article that was done in another country started with the Oscars of voice acting. I was like, no, no, please call it the voice arts. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I couldn't complain too much. But yeah, there's, now we have uh, uh, six international ambassadors. Wow. One from Japan, Dubai, Egypt, um, Dominican Republic, Nigeria, South right. Africa, and, right. uh, and Brazil. And there's seven of them. And these folks help us do translations. They help us understand how to localize our message in those countries. Right. And, uh, and they have brought ADR and, you know, and dubbing uh, to the forefront in a major way, because that's a lot of the work that they do, whether they're right. here or abroad. And, uh, and it's just, you know, they're tapped into the culture in their countries. They're tapped into Absolutely. the voiceover community in their countries. And so that's what's helping it to sort of grow exponentially. That's awesome. So, Joan, for those who may be going to the expo for the first time, that's voiceover. Okay. Are there any like rules or etiquette or things to be mindful of or maybe, you know, just how this um, conference might be different from others so that people kind of have an awareness? Well, one thing I think, not that I've been to the other conferences, um, but I have, I was in VO Atlanta, both Rudy and I, when it first started in 2013. But what I would say just based on advertising is that we have a section for coaches on the, on, in the third day, but the rest of the people are people that can hire you or facilitate. Okay. So they can either represent you or they can hire you. And I think that's a major difference right off the bat, because first of all, these people are not easy to get. Yeah. These people, it's the same amount of work it would take if I was trying to get a voiceover job and I was going for television networks and advertising agencies. Like it takes so much and to even identify half of them. Right. So what I'm saying is when you see these people on stage, just know that they have been um, we've been nurturing this this relationship and for them to do what they're doing in such an extraordinary way for, you know, sometimes years. So I think right off the bat, that's different because it's not a phone call you can just make. When you're working with DreamWorks, that takes cultivation. That's a whole different level of networking. Yeah. So I think people in the audience can actually benefit from the energy that's been spent to get the people that we've gotten (laughs) to come on stage. No, I off. And so right now, one of the things that's different right, right now, you can go to you can go to sovas.org, scroll down and click the audition button, right. and you can start auditioning. You can that's upload the your, second you can, difference. That's you can the drop, second download difference. the script, record it, and upload it. And there's opportunity in that for you. You'll see for each one of those, uh, it's not just getting a job, but sometimes it also comes with other fun perks. Right. So that's uh that's very important, I think, uh, that everything happens in the sphere of getting voice actors working. Yeah. 
Another thing is that we have speed dating with your demo reel. I There's nothing like that anywhere else where you can concentrate and meet. I don't know, as many as, you know, usually there's about between 30 and 32, 35 people uh, that you would be able to meet potentially in speed dating with your demo reel. It is and that's 90... just on the English side. There's another Yeah, 15. that's just yeah. on the English yeah. side. Yeah. So, so it's uh, talent has five minutes with a commercial demo reel to meet people that you would never normally meet. These people um, will either facilitate your career or hire you. I don't know where they do that anywhere. Yeah. And again, this takes this taken years to cultivate. We first implemented it into that's voiceover in 2012. And it used to be where you didn't have to have a kick-ass demo reel to qualify. Um, obviously, we can't take hundreds of people and have them do speed dating. So it is something that's um, a semi-private session at, at that's voiceover. And it happens during a day when you get Atomic VO coaching. Okay. So everyone can do that all day long, but then people that are segmented to do speed dating can also do that at the time that it's supposed to be. But again, speed dating is a treasure trove of casting directors, producers, talent agents, and talent managers. You get five minutes with them with your demo reel, with your commercial demo reel. They're all expecting that, but they all, you know, some of them might ask you if you have, if you have another demo reel they can listen to, you know, a different genre. Um, They do give you guidance, but also uh, through the time that we've been doing speed dating, the enormous amount of people that get signed, because again, we we vet the demo. So they are ready to go. You know, the talent is ready to go if they don't have representation. Right. Um, people have not only gotten signed from both managers and cast and uh, talent agents, but they've gotten auditions from casting directors and they've also gotten jobs. As a matter of fact, I can think of a few that not only got jobs from speed dating, but they entered it into the voice arts awards and won. So talk like about that. that. Go ahead like and talk that. about the awards. So that's a perfect segue. So can people still submit for awards? And kind of what are the rules? Does it have to be something okay. that was done in the last year, in this year? Does it matter? It, it, it does matter, and it, and it varies. So generally, okay. the work has to have been made public uh, within a year and a half of June 30th in the award year. So you can go back 18 okay. months okay. from June 30th of the award year. And uh, but when we introduce a new category or a new a new uh, language, we give those people two years because they're just they're just learning about it. They have work that they've already done that. Oh, I would have submitted it if I had known. So we give them uh, a a broader range. And then, of course, there's a a category called body of work, which we do in English and we do uh, on an international basis and we do in Spanish. And since the body of work is going to go back to your beginnings. There's there are no restrictions there on when that work was produced, uh, or or uh, or made public. So there there are some rules. There are categories. There are always descriptions with each category. Okay. And so that's how you can determine the uh, the criteria through just reading through the, through the categories. The criteria is there. The description of what the work should be about or look like is there. And uh, just jump in. The awards close this year on the twenty fifth. Of September. September. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys. So yes, that is less than two weeks. Um, so if anybody wants to submit for an award, you need to get on that. So I, I, I also want to add something, Jen, and that is that you are submitting for consideration. It's not an automatic nomination. We have about 300 judges that judge the awards. Rudy and I do not judge the award. Yeah, Carlos is a judge. That's right. We love you, Carlos. We love you. Rudy and I Start start sending flowers his way. Did you get get those empanadas I sent you? (laughs) (laughs) So Rudy and I do not judge uh, and we've never judged the, uh, any any submission. So a lot of times when people will tell me, oh, I submitted, I'm like, oh, like I had no idea because I have nothing or Rudy and I have nothing to do with the actual judging. Um, that would probably be a conflict of interest for sure. But we don't have anything to do with that. But we do uh, vet judges that we do do. When we, fir- we first used to send invites, now people come to us and there is a criteria and they have to fill that out and that does get vetted. 
So, but I just wanted to make it clear that Rudy and I have nothing to do with the judging. Also, and Rudy can speak to this more because I focus mostly on the voice arts awards and some on that's, I mean, I focus mostly on that's voiceover and I do some work for the voice arts awards where Rudy focused mostly on the voice arts awards and he does help me with that's voiceover, but it's basically me and Rudy. We don't have a staff of people. We have a on and off um, intern. She's now going back to school. So it's basically me and Rudy until the last six weeks to uh, the events, which this year is December 7th through the 9th. And then the Voice Arts Awards is on uh, Sunday, December 10th. But it's basically me and Rudy. So I can't tell you the schedules that we have and how unbelievably intense they are on a regular basis, right? So I, I wanted to add something, and that is in the behind the scenes. So the judges... And Rudy can speak to this more. We have about five to six to sometimes seven judges on one entry judging wow. it. So not there is no one judge that goes, you you did it. You know, you get you're gonna win. Like no judge knows who's winning. They just score the work. And when they score the work, they don't even know who's involved. They may recognize a voice, okay, but they don't know anybody involved with the work. It's blind. All they're strictly doing is judging the work or scoring the work. And then, Rudy, you can speak to how that plays out. I can? Yes, in terms of the al algorithm and how that generates nominations and categories. And then the Oh, that's winner. a good point. Yeah. When mm -hmm. do nominations come out? Oh, there, there's so many dates in my head. I know. We, so yeah. I know. Uh, I believe, well, first of all, there is a calendar on the website. Okay, okay. So if, if if you scroll down to the bottom of the website, you'll see calendar and you can go and you'll see all those kinds of little touch points are in there. Uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's late October. Okay. Yeah. Or that, mid. That yeah. we actually announced them. So the judges score on a scale of, of 0.1 to 10. So they have those little points in there so that they can really get down to the nitty gritty. And uh an interesting point about that is that sometimes the winner, just like in the Olympic Games, when you see somebody running track and, and they, you, know, you know, somebody wins by half a toe, that happens with these awards sometimes, too. It's like Joan said, the judges don't know what the other judges scores are. They don't even yeah. know which works the other judges scored. And, right. uh, and then we look at them and we say, oh, my God, it's, it can be painful to see that the person who won won by literally one, you know, point one. Uh, and so I, I, I point that out because some folks like to think that they lost and that, that's, that really doesn't count. It's not like a boxing match where, you know, one person's left on the ground and that's how you know who wins. It's, uh, right. you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's judging the work that happens to be in the pot at the time. And the, uh, based on the judges, five nominees rise to the top. And then of those five, and they're very close, right. you know, one has to win. You got to go with the math at that point, or you'd go crazy trying to find a reason to, uh, you know, I don't know, make it a tie or something. But uh, you just you have to be you have to be very fair. We have to be very strict about that process. Uh, it's the it's the lifeblood of the program, in my opinion. What the judges mm -hmm. do, you got to leave it alone. Let them do their thing. And mm -hmm. judging is very private. It's very uh, it, a lot of it is very subjective because there's no one in there to control how you think or. Uh, or 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 make your choices. Or though they do have a guide, they yeah, all they, have the same guide. Yes, they all working from the same guidelines. And then uh, you know, I judge the Emmys. Joan judges as a judge for the Emmys, and so we know how how essentially private it is when it comes down to it. And you're not talking so, to other people. You're not like calling people and saying, "Oh, I voted for this one." Who you know, no one's doing that. It's yeah. all very very private, and it's all online, and they all have about two weeks to <laughs> score all the work that needs to be the, scored. The very first year that we had judges, that did happen. That one of the one of the judges went uh, and talked to one of the uh, uh, entrants. One of the entrants. Uh, about, um, I don't remember what their conversation was, but the entrant innocently called me to say, well, the judge told me this happened and that. And, like, maybe, and I said, really? Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I need to speak with the judge. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, okay, Miss Miss Judge, you're no longer a judge. And, 
this work is now disqualified because of what you did. And, uh, oops. Yeah. Right. So that, that's what happens. If there's a slightest little mistake like that or infraction, everybody has to go. The category that, that work has to go, that judge has to go. And we still like the judge, but we can't well, have you in the program after that. It's good to hear that. Yeah. There's transparency in the process and yeah, you guys are keeping it above board. Well, I don't want to um, take advantage of your time and we've had a great Gosh, it's been a great interview and we've had great people showing up. So we've made it an hour, guys. Um, I wanted to turn it over to JT. I know we could just keep going. (laughs) This has been great. But I'm going to turn it over to JT for a little uh, fun wrap up. And I I actually want to give my discount code. It's a 25% off discount code um, for tickets to That's VoiceOver as well as the Voice Arts Awards. Oh, wonderful. it's 25% off. The discount code is Coach Joan 23 for everyone on the call. If you already got a ticket, then can please consider it uh, a donation, there you whatever go. the difference is. So it's Coach Joan 23, 25% off. That's voiceover as well as the Voice Arts Award ticket to go. Wow. Thank you. Um, that is so generous. All right, JT. Before before we wrap up, uh, there was one question in the chat that I wanted to address. Sure. Um, Adam wanted to know, as someone who's just opening the door to professional VO work, doesn't have demos yet, just starting to audition, would he probably get more out of attending That's VoiceOver if he waits until next year and when he has a demo completed and be further along? No. Now. Absolutely now. You want to be empowered for when your demo is ready to get it out there. But no, because there's so many opportunities, even within the seminars, as opposed to you, ha- you don't have to have a demo to go to That's VoiceOver. But your eagerness to learn and to upgrade your skill, that you would need to have and that you have now. So yeah. I, I say to you, please go this year. You will be blown away. And yet you will be more empowered to get your demo out there. Think of it Not like being in, in college. When you're in college and you're learning a particular field, whether it's become a lawyer or, or a psychologist or whatever it is, professionals come in and, 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 and meet with you. You know, your teachers bring in professionals. Your teachers are themselves professionals. Right. Uh, so that's the kind of environment that's, that you want to be in. Uh, there's no beginner's environment for right. voice acting. There's, right. no, there's no minor league. Uh, where you're going to get hired in voice acting. It's, you know, it's all out there. It's all professional. So the sooner you get into the pool, the sooner you start learning to swim. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. Thanks, JT. Thanks for letting us know. Yeah. All right. So usually we ask three questions of our guests, James Lipton style. We're running a little bit late, so I'm just going to take it down to our favorite question. We'll start with you, Joan. What's your favorite dessert? Okay. Chocolate chip mofo cookie. <laughs> okay, right. you got it. <laughs> Rudy, how about you? I'm going to have to go with a uh, scoop of butter pecan ice cream and strawberry ice cream. It's got to be Haagen-Dazs or, uh, oh or Ben and Jerry's with uh, strawberries on top, hot fudge. Oh, and, my God. And, and almonds. Wait. I love it. No peach cobbler? So don't, don't take me there. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Oh, we see, just opened a can of worms. <laughs> oh, yes, you did. Yeah. Now, see, I love chocolate chip cake. I mean, I love chocolate cake, but I'm not tempted by it. I'm tempted by the chocolate chip cookie. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. Um, AB, you want to wrap us up? Absolutely. Um, thank you, guys. I, I may have been the fly on the wall in this meeting today, oh. but I enjoyed listening to everything that you had to say. And um, Thank you, A.B. Thank yeah. you, girl. So thank you, guys. <laughs> Thanks to everybody listening live, too, and, yes. and dropping your questions in the chat. And yes. um, if you were listening to our podcast after the fact, feel free to join us live on Zoom every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific. 1 p.m. Eastern, but we love our podcast listeners too. NJ, 
Uh, meanwhile, be sure to connect with each of us on LinkedIn and join the VO Booth Besties Facebook group. If you missed a live episode, you can always catch the recording later on our website, boothbesties.com, or anywhere you find your favorite podcast. We would love if you would subscribe and leave us a review. Those reviews help us reach more listeners who are looking for great voiceover content like this. And once again, make sure you're signed up for the VO Booth Besties newsletter so you know what's coming up in the week ahead. Plus, bonus, you'll find discounts from our affiliate partners there as well. Coming up Monday. Oh, wait a minute. We got two exciting things Monday. One, we have our accountability group, which is offered at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, and also 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. So you have no excuse not to meet up with people in the VO community to work on setting goals and your to-do list. And on Monday night, we are hosting a casting directors panel with Terry Berland, Marilyn Wisner, and Julia Scheffling. Uh, Since they're busy during the day, yeah, they're busy during the day, you know, casting. Um, So they're not going to be able to get with us until that evening. So please join us. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks for everyone in the audience. And we will see you on Monday. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of VO Booth Besties. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Well, pretty much anywhere they're playing podcasts. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook so we can keep the conversation going. VO Booth Besties. Yeah, it's a thing. thing.